yes, I think my headphone jack wasn't all the way in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but this happened to me like a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure you understand having a podcast where like the guests could not hear me, and I was like, I don't know what's going on at all, and I literally had to like log off and then log back on. So I was like, I I don't know what to do. <laughs> no, it was on my end. I thought it was all the way in, and then I just checked it, and I was like. It popped. So I was like, it was not all the way. It's so good. I love it. Oh, well, hello. How are you? Good. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I think this will just be so good. And, and really, you know, after reflecting on like our original conversation and just even just looking at your answers again from everything that you sent over, like, I think it just aligns so well with my target audience and your mission and what you stand for is just so cool. Um, and I think it'll just be so helpful for people within my community. So I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I know like you, the last question was like, what do you want to leave the audience with or something like that? And I was just like, yeah, it's a hard time right now just with anxiety. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I've been struggling with it lately. Um, and so it's okay, but people are like, oh, you are, you're so put together, but I'm like, I feel the same feelings that everyone else does. Yes. Oh my gosh. Let's literally start there because that's why I started my podcast was like, everyone kept saying that to me too, of like, oh my God, you have it so together. Like you, you have such a perfect life. And I was like, absolutely the I don't like, I don't know what I'm doing and none of us know what we're doing. And we're all struggling with those things. Um, how do you balance that? You know, and you can kind of touch on, uh, bliss with Chris and all the things that you do within your platform, but like, how do you balance that, you know, wanting to help people while also at the same time being authentic and real to who you are? Yeah. I, I kind of don't believe in the word balance. I call it more of a juggle (laughs) and that sometimes, you know, you're doing good and like you're juggling all three or four or five or however many balls you have and they're all in the air. Right. Yeah. But you might drop a couple and then have to like (laughs) bend down and pick them up and then other ones fall while you're down. So, um, I'll say like, you know, it might seem that I'm excelling in one area, but then I, that means I've let other areas slip, if that makes sense. So that's Mm. kind of how I approach life is just instead of work-life balance, I call it a work-life juggle. (laughs) And I think I've, I've definitely, I wasn't always like this, but letting go of perfection has helped. And so being okay with like, that's good enough for some things. Um, that doesn't mean I don't try, but just being okay with not everything in my life being a hundred percent perfect, like all the time. So I think just that's how I approach it. Um, and (laughs) being that I kind of like, I have multiple roles in my life. Um, I work full time in higher education and career services. I'm currently in school to actually become a therapist. I'm in a master's in mental health counseling. So I'm a full-time worker, a student, and then my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've learned with a podcast was my first year, I was releasing episodes weekly, but I've scaled back to bi-weekly because I was just like, reality is time is going to be stretched thin between everything that I do. And so being okay with like um, adjusting 
and letting some things off of your plate so that um, I could focus on, I mean, school's important and obviously work has always been important because um, I was working before I was in school. So I think being okay with not doing all the things and it's really, I think it's taken the pandemic to help me learn how to do that um, because we've all had to really slow down and kind of reevaluate our lives because pre-pandemic, I definitely am. I, kind of still am, but not as bad, the to-do list person and maker and checking things off. But I've gotten okay with not feeling like I always have to be doing something. And I think, I think I struggled working from home early on because I almost felt a guilt because I was like, I'm at home. There's no excuses on why I can't be more productive, productive. Cause it's easier. Right. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but it was not, <laughs> I think we were definitely in more of a survival mode, especially like when it first came to the United States and it was not about thriving. It was about surviving. And so <laughs> once I was able to let go of that guilt of, Oh, I should be way more productive than I am even in my normal office. But, um, you know, none of us have been through this before and just navigating uh, mental health during the pandemic, um, I would say it kind of, um, I guess, lessens your bandwidth, if that makes sense. I feel like my bandwidth has definitely not always been where I felt like it should have been. Just because, um, just thinking about, you know, what's going to happen next week. Are we ever going to get back into the office? Like just the unknown, um, took up, took up a lot of bandwidth. And so realizing like, okay, if I don't have the bandwidth, I can't be as productive as I think I should be. So once I realized that I was like, ah, it's not about just having that to-do list and checking things off. It's just like, getting what needs to be done and adjusting as needed and moving things to the next week or just whenever it needed to get done. Right. It's like, I love how you said it's about surviving, not about thriving. And I feel like that can relate to many different parts of our lives today too, of like, there's this thriving, I, you know, you idolize this, you know, idea of thriving on social media where these people are, you know, doing everything that they, you would dream of doing and they're traveling and they're, and they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, there are days where you just are truly just trying to survive mm-hmm. and you're trying to get through the day or you need to get through the day. Um, and there might be days where you feel like you're thriving, but it's not a constant all the time, every single day I am thriving. And that is that. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you said that because, um, during my last session with my therapist, I, she was asking me how I was feeling and I was like, I just feel more anxious, um, lately just, you know, working in education and students just moved back. We just started school where I'm at and cases are rising. And so I feel like every, almost every day, it might be more like every other day, but it's just new updates on just policies and, um, kind of contingency planning. Okay. If need be, you can switch virtual, but we're not going to say we're a hundred percent virtual. So just a log. (laughs) And also just the, the navigating, I think any school year, the start of the year is just getting used to the new schedule and, um, homework and reading and stuff like that 
so it's like the normal anxiety plus, you know, <laughs> the whole COVID thing again. <laughs> so anyways, I told my therapist, I was like, I feel like my anxiety was like a 10 out of 10 on a particular day. And what happened was, um, we had a meeting at work and it was like, I'd say a large portion of it was about COVID and then some other stuff. And then, um, I was just like, I'm going to TJ Maxx after work just to not go home. Like sometimes I'll just like a change of scenery and just trying to get like a little ounce of normalcy whenever I can. But when I went into TJ Maxx, like I, my brain was just like in overdrive. Like I was like, I can't even focus on what I'm looking at. Cause I'm like, I'm looking at it, but my thoughts are just crazy. Yep. And then I walked to like another part of TJ Maxx and I was like, how am I walking right now? Like, I feel so out of body. Like my, br- <laughs> my body was moving, but I was like, I felt like my brain had no control over my body. <laughs> so I was just like, um, and then I was on the phone with my partner and he was like, oh, can you look to see if they have this? And so I went over there and I looked and then he was like, oh, by the way, can you go check in the men's section for something? And so I went and then he was like, oh, can you look at something? And I was like, no, I'm leaving. Nope. I don't have the, I don't have the brain power to like, try to look for your stuff out of love, out of love. Yep. I was like, I just, I just can't. So I was like, I'm leaving DJ Max. I didn't even buy anything, but that's how I knew. Like I was really like overwhelmed and feeling anxious. Cause I was just like, I love TJ Max. And I usually never walk out without buying anything but I just my brain was just like not there um (laughs) so I was like I'm sorry I had to leave we can look later for your stuff but I'm going to McDonald's I kind of lean towards like emotional eating sometimes it's like I'm going to McDonald's I'm getting some french fries and um like a Dr. Pepper um icy from McDonald's and so that's what I did just to cope and then I ended up like getting on the couch and watching Netflix so I was like um that was kind of a rough day because like yes. that, that did not feel normal for me and I was just like yeah this probably should be addressed in my my next appointment and so we talked about it and um basically she provided education like I think your flight or fight your flight or fight kicked in and that's when you were just like I'm shutting down I'm leaving I'm getting something that will comfort me and Mm -hmm. going home and watching Netflix and so I was like yeah that makes a lot of sense like I think I just got to that like point in my brain for me personally because I know everyone's um capacity is different but for me at that point I was just like I hit my point and I just needed a way to like cope with it and so that particular day it was McDonald's but <laughs> there's days where I cope better but I say all that to say um at first I was just like what is wrong with me like why am I like thinking like this and feeling like this but after my session I was just I realized like oh that's actually quite normal and it makes sense on why I felt the way that I did that week and so now that I'm aware of it, I'm just like, okay, I'm not going, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not crazy. It's just a normal reaction to just where we are in life right now. So yeah, it's so true. Like 
I love what you said. I'm just like, I'm not crazy. Like this is normal. And like the power of therapy and it is a good segue into kind of wanting to know more about how you wanted to go into that space too. But like the power of therapy of just to make you feel like you're not crazy and that like things are going on in your life and things are going on in your brain are scientifically like this equals this. Right. And so that's, what's so comforting. And I'm I'm the same way when I go to therapy, it's like when my therapist makes sense of something that happened, I'm like, Oh, all right. Like I'm, it's normal, right? (laughs) Yeah. You get it. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it is that validation because, um, like for me, I'm just, I'm again, going back to that people kind of come to me for advice because I appear to have it together. And so, um, for me to be able to have that person in my life, that's a professional too. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it feels validating and also just like kind of putting together the pieces of the puzzle that of things that I don't fully understand, but since they went to school for that, they can link stuff together that we're not aware of. And so just being able to have that dedicated time and space of a professional really does mean a lot to me. Yeah. I love that. Like the, you might be the person who everyone goes to for advice and help. It's like, you also need to offload a lot of that as well. And like to ask for help and advice. Cause if you are that designated person, which I'm the same way, I've usually been that person as well. It is hard because you end up caring so much, I feel like, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about that, but you feel like you carry so much and then you're not releasing it. And now I'm like, okay, now that I go to therapy often and bi-weekly, I'm like, I can release this crap and I can talk about my own crap. And then I can be better fit to, you know, serve others and be a good friend and be a good partner and all those things too. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, there's only so much you can hold in your head and just like feelings and of other people. And then you don't want to just put your feelings to the side. So yeah, I can definitely, um, empathize with that. Um, but it's, I go bi-weekly as well with my therapist. Mm -hmm. And so just most of the time I do look forward to it, but if it's been a heavy week, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) it's going to be an interesting session, but either way, it does feel good to have that 50 minutes dedicated where I know, um, it's just my therapist and I, and I could, she, she's obviously doesn't know me. So that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a unbiased. Yeah. Unbiased. That's it. There it is. (laughs) That unbiased person. Yes. Third party was good too. But since they're not like connected to you either, like relationship wise, friendship wise, family wise, they're unbiased and they have to be just ethically. They have to be unbiased. So having that unbiased, um, listener that can just make sense of the things that you're feeling. Yeah. And just can also offer you and challenge you in spaces too. Cause when it comes to the unbiased opinion, it also allows you for spaces to grow um, and to learn from that therapist of like, they might challenge you on something or they might, you know, teach you something you didn't know before, like you're saying. Um, whereas if you are always relying on a friend or someone who's close to you, it's a great thing as well to add. But I think that the nice thing is, or the, the challenge there is that 
someone close to you might always want to choose your side, if you will, or, you know, tell you that you're not crazy. You're doing everything right. It's like, well, okay. Sometimes we don't do things right. We, we fuck up. We don't do everything right. Like that's okay too. Yeah, for sure. And even though my therapist is not from a marriage and family background, um, we do talk about just how my upbringing can impact the way that I view the world. And I think obviously this is for everyone. You're how you were raised can impact, um, your adulthood in ways that you don't even realize. So, um, it's made me really just think about, um, like how I was brought up and how that influences mental health really. Um, and so I, it's really made me appreciate, I know my parents did the best that they can, but also there was just kind of some things that I realized like, oh, maybe this is why I am the way I am. And so just, it's allowed me to give my parents grace, but also like recognizing that it doesn't make them bad parents just because, you know, there were some things that probably should have done, been done differently growing up, but, um, it's allowed me to give them grace, but also like for myself, like, um, realize that they did the best that they could with all the information that they had, because Mm -hmm. I think even in my parents' generation, I think we're just now getting to a place where mental health is like not as taboo compared to in my parents' generation. And so I really do truly feel like they just didn't have the education that we do now about mental health. And so I really, truly feel like my parents did the best that they could with what they had, um, for me growing up. Mm -hmm. So true. And same sister, you know, like my parents definitely did the best they could, but there were things that were not good and definitely have impacted, you know, our whole family through, you know, every phase of life. And I think that, like you're saying, that's like almost universal at this point, like, either way, parents are always going to be human and they can try their very hardest, um, and love you with their whole heart. And they're still going to mess up. Like they're still going to do things that are going to detriment you in some way, shape or form. And throughout life, you're going to start to recognize that if you do the work to get there, but it's almost like this piece of, of once you understand things and once you, you know, what happened to you and, and how that happened, like Oprah says, you know, what happened to you? I love, I don't know if you read that book, but I love that whole, you know, thought of life of like, it's not about what's wrong with you. It's about what happened to you. It just offers almost a sense of like closure of like, oh, okay. Like I can come to sense with things that are going on in my life because I understand that part of my life. It's Hard Podcast is edited and produced by Sather Audio. Sather Audio is ran by my dear friend, Andy Bjork. He is an incredible sound engineer. He did all the intro music to this podcast this season, has worked with me since day one on producing the best podcast possible. He edits all of my episodes, which is a complete lifesaver and time saver as I work, you know, a nine to five and do this on the side. And I just can't thank him enough for how much he does for me and how incredibly, you know, insightful and talented he is. He also creates his own music. You can follow him at Sather Audio on Instagram and reach out at SatherAudio at gmail.com if you have any inquiries or need any sound needs, if you will. 
I can't recommend him enough. Tell him that I sent you and connect with him. If you're a podcaster, if you're looking for a new intro song, anything, he is for sure your guy. You can't deny that my new intro music is bomb. So reach out to Sather Audio with any of your sound needs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, I guess, um, a little bit about background about me is I grew up both parents military. So it already military culture kind of is just like, um, you just don't show emotion. Right. Um, again, it is getting better. I feel like, especially with awareness with, um, I know people, whenever they think of PTSD, they automatically think people that have been in combat, but, um, but PTSD still is a big deal, um, with military connected people. And so I do know that there's more awareness on things such as PTSD and like suicide and depression and just mental health in general with the military. But I still feel like there's some, strides to make, um, towards normalizing it. But anyways, <laughs> that's just now. So imagine like, you know, my childhood, that was just mental health was not talked about in the military. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with both parents in the military. Um, also from, a, they were from a generation where mental health was just like, I think people kind of thought of it in the extremes, such as like schizophrenia and, mm-hmm. um, bipolar disorder and not necessarily depression or anxiety. So mental health was really not talked about unless it was just kind of those more outwardly facing things. And with those things, of course, people kind of labeled it as, oh, they're just crazy or, oh, they just need to go to like a mental um, institution. Um, So it was really stigmatized, even with the information that they had. So you can imagine just me growing up um, also I grew up Christian and, um, you know, there's some school of thought in Christianity that's just like, oh, you just got to pray your way out of it Mm -hmm. or, oh, you don't trust God enough. Um, and so that's why you're feeling depressed or anxious or whatever. And it's like, okay, with all of those intersecting identities. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, being a black woman, um, it's really not talked about I don't think enough in the African-American community mm-hmm. and so like all those intersecting identities like mental health is def- definitely just kind of challenging to talk about with all of those things I think yeah. at least for my parents to like you know like oh no it's okay to talk about this with my daughter but um I kind of find it funny that like even out of all of those things working kind of against me, quote unquote, um, that I just found the pathway of wanting to become a counselor. And I think part of it, part of that is because of like everything that I didn't receive growing Mm. up. Um, and so that's why part of why I decided to be a counselor. Um, and then the other part is just, I've worked in higher ed now, this will be my fifth year. And every year it seems like we're seeing more and more students with like depression and anxiety and just other mental health things, um, substance abuse, eating disorders, things like that. And I just felt like, I feel like I can do more. Not that I'm not doing anything in my current job, but, um, I guess more something more meaningful, at least for me, because people find meaning in different things, Mm -hmm. but 
for me going into those deeper conversations one-on-one with students and being able to talk through some of those um, mental health challenges with them. And so kind of just, it's a mix of just not getting what I would have liked to have received as a child and growing up through adolescence, but also just the nature of the environment I'm currently working in and seeing just how many students are suffering. And sometimes they feel like they're suffering alone and being able to be that person to like step in and like talk to them about like real life stuff and like things that they don't feel comfortable talking about maybe to their peers or family um, and kind of be in that safe space for them. Oh, that's so important. And yes, I, I, I love what you said about the things that we didn't receive or we would have liked to have act, had access to, right? And especially, you know, with yourself after sharing all of the things that should have stopped you probably from wanting to even talk about mental health, it's here you are like in an unexpected circumstance, you know, um, how has that, you know, now with this new path of you wanting to go down the therapy route or, you know, mental health counseling and helping students, how has that impacted, you know, your family and those conversations with your family? That's funny you ask. I talk with this to my therapist too, but <laughs> my family still kind of like, I feel like they're, they're on board and they want to be supportive as best <laughs> as they can, but sometimes they don't understand like depression, for example, sometimes they kind of feel like you can like, like, oh, you're not depressed. You're just sad or you're just being lazy. Um, and so sometimes I think they don't understand um, mental health all the way itself, but they're also supportive as best as they can be like, oh, you're going to school. Like my mom will give me like little like packets she gets at work because like I said the military is getting better about uh, mental health so like um this summer I guess she was at this event and they were doing awareness on um either I can't remember now if it was anxiety and depression or what but anyway she saved back some like pamphlets about resources about um how to identify if you're feeling depressed or anxious. And so she gave those to me because she knows like I would read them. And so I was like, oh, this is exciting. Like I actually like want to go through, it was like a workbook actually. Oh, cool. And so she's like, how nerdy are you that you're excited to look through a workbook? But like, so they're supportive, but I don't think they understand completely, which is, right. I mean, I know that that's not how they grew up and um, they didn't have that language then, but I think they're trying as best as they can. I think <laughs> I remember like, okay, backstory. I actually considered counseling even like while I was an undergrad student a few years back, but I kind of let people just talk me out of it. Cause they're like, Oh, it takes a long time to become a licensed counselor. Cause you know, it's 60 credit hours. Um, and then, you have to be supervised for so many hours after that and take your licensure exam. So it is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, and then also like my family kind of saw it as like, oh, you just want to talk to people about their problems all day. It's, like, it's not just that, but so I kind of, I was about 23 when I finished my undergrad degree. And so I was like, mm, maybe 
maybe they're right and I shouldn't do this. And so I didn't. And so finally, like I said, the pandemic slowed people down. And so I really got to think long and hard about it. And I was like, I'll take a class and see how I feel about it. So I took a class um, this time last year and I was like, okay, I'm just going to apply for the program. And I got accepted and I started fully in the summer of this year. So I was just like, why did I let people like talk me out of this when it's just like, I think, um, I think people meant well, but at the end of the day, people can't see your vision and like what's meant for you is not necessarily going to always be understood by like even your, the most well-meaning people in your circle. Um, and that's okay. But as long as you like stay true and follow like your inner voice, um, what's meant for you will be, I know it's cliche. What's meant for you <laughs> is for you. But, um, now I kind of think back, not that I regret it, but I'm like, I probably would have been done with like everything and been licensed already for a couple of years. Um, so, but that's okay. But it definitely was a lesson learned, like, you know, just go for it. Um, even if people kind of doubt you, like that's okay because they're not you at the end of the day. And you're the one that has to live with your decisions. Um, so Mm -hmm. you might as well make yourself happy. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And I've experienced something similar, obviously not necessarily in the school space, but more I'm in the process of moving right now. Um, and just like where you're going to move and where, you know, what you're going to do and where you're going to live and all these things. And I think especially for, you know, people in our twenties, when we're kind of in this like floating head stage, if you will, of like, where do we go and what do we do? And, um, it's so easy to get influenced by those around us and what their kind of fears and anxieties are, and then how they project those onto us. Because I think kind of like you're explaining, you know, people are expressing, well, you really want to talk about people's problems all day. It's like, that's probably, you know, whether it was your family member, whoever it was, they wouldn't want to do that. And that makes them scared. And so then they're projecting that fear onto you, but then it helps or it makes you feel doubtful about what you want to do. And it just gets so confusing in our brains, yeah. but it's so like our, you know, just in this stage of life, it's so hard to not do that. Yeah, it is because I think your twenties are the first time you're on your own, especially clearly in your younger twenties. But mm-hmm. I think we still want that validation, like that we're pleasing our family um, yes. and making them happy, but it's learning to balance, you know, am I going to make myself happy or do I still want to um, kind of be the good goody two shoes and like still make my parents proud. And so I think that's one of the harder things, honestly, that I know for me was like finding that balance between like staying true to me, but also wanting to make my family still proud of me. And at the end of the day, I think whatever route I chose, I think they still would have been proud for proud of me. They might not have fully understood like the decision I made, but I think just giving it time and like space and eventually they'll get on board. But <laughs> Yeah, you're right, though. That is, I think, one of the hardest part of your 20s is like, and I think I'm not a parent yet, but I think it's a transition for them, too, as well, um, because they go from, you know, you, they're kind of your, I don't want to say 
number one authority, but they're a pretty big authority in your life growing up. Um, and so for them to learn that transition, like, oh, I'm no longer that source mm-hmm. of authority for my child's life to learning how to kind of let that go and trusting that your child is going to make the best decisions for themselves. Absolutely. They go from being, you know, such a caretaker, you know, it's even the phases of like, they are feeding us and they are keeping us alive to, oh, now this human is feeding itself and it is, you know, staying alive on its own for the most part to now we're sending it away and it's going (laughs) to college. And then now it has to like figure out where it wants to live and do what it wants to do. And all it's like, I can't even imagine I'm not a parent either. I'm like, that is going to be just such a mind ass. Like, I'm going to be like, what is going on? (laughs) How did this happen? Yeah. And it's interesting working in higher ed now because, you know, college is freaking expensive. Yeah. So we're starting to kind of see trends where parents, um, I'm going to say feel obligated because of how much they're paying. I mean, it is a lot, it is an investment in their child's life. And so they want, I will say, I feel like over the years, the number of calls from parents I've received and just like colleagues, especially those that work as advisors receive from parents when it should really be the student, their child Mm -hmm. (laughs) making that, um, initiative and, but they feel, I think just because of the amount of money that they're paying the school, they feel like, well, I should be able to like do whatever I want to do kind of mentality. And I can kind of see both sides where it's like, yeah, you, if you're spending this much money, like you want to make sure like your student is getting quality services, but at the same time, it still is college. And this is where students are supposed to learn how to start making those decisions for themselves and problem solve and things like that. So it's an interesting time in higher ed with like, (laughs) kind of finding those boundaries between like parents and their students. So yeah. <laughs> it's like helicopter parents are on yes, the phone. Like, yes. You're like, your student needs to come to me themselves. They need to do this for them. Yeah. It's wild though, because um at least where I live, a lot of students will do concurrent classes so they'll take college classes while they're in high school and so (laughs) it gets awkward because if they take so many they're like a freshman because it's their first year in school but they're like a junior in credits (laughs) like maybe a sophomore yeah but they're getting to a point where like they have no gen eds really to take and so they have to choose a major and I'm like what 18 year old I changed my major a lot in undergrad. And so I'm like, what 18 year old is going to know what they want to do. And so we're in this interesting place where students are like, they're still young and 18 when they enter college, but they're like already in their second or third year credit wise. And so like, yeah, I can kind of see why parents do that, but at the same time, it gets tricky because it's like, you don't even know yourself yet. Mm -hmm. So how do we expect you to know what you want to major in? That is, we need to talk more about this (laughs) because, and you have so much experience with this. I think about this so often of why in the hell 
do we go to college first of all when we're 18 years old I mean I get it like we're saying you know independence all these things but then to try to decide what we want our studies to be focused on and to pay all this money for a degree that like we might not even end up using like exhibit a is myself I studied fashion merchandising and it was a great experience like did a lot of, you know, ran a fashion show, like did all these cool things that I'm, I'm love that I do. I have zero interest in working in the fashion industry. Now that I've graduated, I'm, I have a mental health podcast. I want to be in mental health. Like I, there's all these things I'm like, well, shit, had I known myself better back then, I probably would have done psychology or, you know, some sort of mental health focused thing. And I just am so curious your thoughts on like, what is the balance there of like people studying things that maybe they're not going to use. And it's just like, should we be going to college later? Like what the heck is this? And like, why does it feel like it's not working? Are you enjoying this episode so far? If so, please take the time to rate and leave a written review on Apple podcasts. You also can press the follow button on Spotify and ask for notifications every time a new episode comes out. This is the best way for us to grow and reach as many people as possible as we start to talk more vulnerably about mental health and things that are relatable to all of us. Also, you can take the time to share this episode with a friend via text message or on social media to also grow the awareness and make sure that people understand that they're not alone. Thank you so much for listening to It's Hard. Let's get back to the episode. (laughs) Okay, so random. I was fashion marketing. It was fashion marketing at my college, but Stop. And you're from Stillwater, Oklahoma, and I'm from Stillwater, Minnesota. We are in parallel universes. Wow. So weird. (laughs) I didn't like my program because it was like part, it was like half fashion marketing and then like college of business courses. So it was like accounting and like marketing. I think I would have liked it if I took like retail math instead of just like accounting or like marketing for fashion. But so I ended up not staying with it. But I now at my current institution, I work with the fashion merchandising students <laughs> at our college. So like that. No way. My yeah. Um, I feel like it's kind of a cutthroat industry. Very. <laughs> Especially very. now there's a lot of pressure with like stuff moving more online and e-commerce. So I kind of think you got to not only know the fashion merchandising side, you have to know like <laughs> developing websites and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's becoming a lot more um, complex. Yes. So all that to say, um, as far as your question, I know like when I was in high school in 2010, I graduated 2010. So y'all can do the math of how old <laughs> I am now, but <laughs> it was pretty much like, it wasn't a question. You just go to college. Like it's almost expected now or then I should say and I think it still kind of is now but it was very much like go to college get a degree get a good job you'll make more money with a college degree than you know your high school diploma um so it was very heavily pushed um without talking about oh you know you might be in more depth than you can handle um once you actually get that full-time job so I don't think the full picture was really presented at least when I was in high school Um, because a lot of people that um, were in my age range were the first people to go to college in their family and so no one in their family knew like how much debt you could actually rack up by going to college 
And we still have a lot, a large first generation percentage, I think that are going to college even now, 11 years later. Um, I'm a a first generation too. Yeah. Or first generation graduate, I should say. My parents went, they just they, they left. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think just, we didn't have the full picture presented to us. Yes. Um, me personally, I know I work in higher education, but I always say, um, whenever I have kids, I don't want to just push the college agenda. Um, I tell people all the time you could be successful with, I don't want to say just, but just an associate's degree instead of a four-year degree. Um, you can go to trade school and a lot of the vocations from trade school make a lot more money than people that go to college. Um, so I just, I'm a big believer in trying to show the big picture and different options people have and not just straight up go to college and you'll be successful. Um, so yeah, I know I work in higher ed and that's like, why would you say that? But But I feel like that's what they need is like this honesty of like, this isn't, if they come to you and they say like, I'm struggling really hard. Like, is there an option of like, this isn't the be all end all because I felt the same way as you did. And I graduated high school in 2016. So even like six years apart, I was the same way where the thought of not going to college was literally not an option. Like even people who did gap years, it was like, you're doing a gap year. Like what the heck? That's so crazy. It was every single person in my friend group went to college and not everyone finished, but then it was like this thought of, if I don't finish, I'm not as good or I'm not. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Like, why were we fed all this information of this is the only way that you're going to be able to do anything in your life. And on top of it, like you said, with the debt piece, I don't even think I fully understood what debt was. Like, I was like, no one was telling me or educating us on like, here is debt and here's what it does to you over time and why it impacts you in your life. Yeah. Cause that interest is like, you're not, right. just paying, you're not just paying like, you know, the principal or what you originally took out, you're paying more than that over time. And so I don't even think like, it's still, I still have to like read slowly through like those pieces whenever I look at like student loan information and I'm like yeah I'm paying way I'm going to be paying way more than I took out um but yeah we we don't understand fully I think the full um the full picture of what it actually means to go to college yes it's going to classes and um, picking a major and things like that but I mean college does I think have a lifelong impact it's not just the four or five years you're there it's the rest of your life depending on how long you have to make payments you know mm-hmm. yeah yes. it's yeah I agree I'm I'm doing that right now I'm like oh okay nice you know left college I'm like I'm paying this much money for you know my four best friends and you know <laughs> my my degree that I'm not using but it's fine you know it's so interesting because it is that like, I'm so grateful I was able to go to college and that I had the capabilities and the support for my family. And um, I'll never, you know, forget college, of course. And it was a great time in my life. It's just like you said, I think the most important part of this topic is that I wish more people and I hope more people understand that there are more options than just college. Like you were saying that you can go to many different types of schools and just because everyone is doing something doesn't mean that if you don't do that, that you are inherently wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And even in my own personal life, um, whenever I was applying, I actually have a master's in adult and higher education, which is what I got so that I could work in higher ed. Um, so I already have a master's. And so I know whenever I started telling people like that, I got into the program, I got a few that were like, why aren't you just working on your PhD? And I was just like, oh, it kind of shook me. Cause I'm like, well, crap, are they right? Am I, should I, should I have just went on for a PhD? But I was like, no, a PhD will always be there. I don't really know if I actually truly want a PhD, like beyond being able to be called doctor, <laughs> like that'd be yeah. cool, but it's a time investment and it's an energy investment. So I'm like, you know what? A PhD will always be there, but I will know better once I, you know, am in the field counseling for a few years if I even need it, uh, because I don't necessarily think PhDs are always necessary, I guess, unless you want to do certain things. And so like having to go through that myself and just like, again, I think they meant well, cause it kind of seems like I've been in school for a while. And I mean, I have, but I took a break. Um, but again, like you said, just, is it really necessary? Um, I can get a job after this master's and like get experience. Cause I think, I think experience is a better teacher, honestly, yes. than your degree is. So I yes. am definitely okay with waiting on that to see like how I feel after I've worked a couple of years as a counselor. Absolutely. Experience can be like the best teacher a lot of times. And we learn so much in that space. I love that. Um, I want to shift to, to a little bit more about like bliss with Chris and what you do as well outside of school. Um, and really just this passion for helping 20 somethings navigate this period of like, I'm sure you've read the defining decade. Have you? Yes. Of course. (laughs) I'm like, I read it every year. My birthday's coming up. I'm like, I got to read it again. Like we are still in the decade, but it, it feels like that, right? Like it's this, this, period of life like we were saying earlier of just I feel like I'm like treading water and I'm just trying to figure out what direction to go in so what inspired you to start working in that space start bliss with Chris really to help people through this period of our lives yeah so I read that book when I was 24 about to turn 25 so literally the quarter life crisis (laughs) part of my life and um, I would say I was inspired by that but I've read a couple of other books like um I don't know if I'm gonna say his name right Paul Angoni it's all grown up and he's also written um 101 secrets for your 20s Um, he actually has a new book I haven't read yet but I have his new one what is that one called 20 I think it's I don't know if it's 20 lies 20 something 20 somethings believe are 25 lies 20 something something along those lines yes yep that's what I have Yes. Um, so those two books really like kind of started, I guess, um, the fuel behind bliss with Chris, because I was like, man, just between these two books alone, I'm just like, yeah, your twenties are really important (laughs) and they're hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just, I think the growth that happens really surprised me. Um, I guess it was the defining decade where, um, Dr. Meg J talks about this period of time is the second most time of growth in your life. And then like your first five years is 
the time when you'll grow the most. Um, so I was like, Oh, so I've got, you know, I, when I was 24, I was like, I've still got some years to like, this is not fully who I am. Um, this is not the end all be all Chrissy. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) it's funny now I'm 29. So I'm like, this is my last year. So I've been doing a lot of reflection and just like, um, about how like I want to end my 20s I am actually I'm a little nervous about turning 30 but I'm like really looking forward to it too just because some of the not so fun parts of your 20s like <laughs> like I'm so over caring what people think and so yes. I think I'm finally at a point where I'm like I don't take into what people I don't buy into I take people's opinions with a grain of salt is what I'm trying to say um so I finally am getting better at that but definitely in my young 20s I was like oh what are people gonna think what are they gonna say are they gonna Mm -hmm. like me type of thing um so anyways I started Bliss with Chris in 2020 um I wanted to start a podcast anyways but I kind of let the excuse of, oh, I'm tired by the time I get home from the office. Well, life kind of was funny on that one because all of a sudden we were working from home. So I was like, well, I'm always at home now. So might as well start this. (laughs) And so I started the podcast um, last year and um, I talk about college and careers and life in your 20s. And just like being vulnerable about like some of the lessons that I've learned along the way in my twenties, especially like dealing with perfectionism. That was a big one in my life. Um, and learning to let that go. But also I know one thing that really tripped me up in my mid twenties was just like, I got to have this, this, and this done by 30. (laughs) It's like, why is that like the end all be all like, why is that our deadline? Um, and so just, realizing life is not a checklist like you don't just check off oh I have a kid check I'm getting a house check I'm getting married those are milestones and not just like a checklist Mm -hmm. and I think we get so wrapped up in comparing ourselves to like our peers because um you know you'll get you'll scroll down social media and people are getting married and having kids and if that's not where you are in life right now that can be hard so like just opening up and talking about like the experience that that experience um on social media so that other people know that they're not alone um is what sparked me and starting bliss with chris yeah that's so so true on like our 20s and our lives are not this checklist right and i've always been a huge believer in that of you know i don't feel the urge i'm almost 24 And I'm not ready to have kids at all. Like I could not be less ready to have children. Right. And it is that like, I'm getting to that age where I'm starting to see people all over social media. They're getting engaged. They're getting married. It's like, it feels like this constant, like just circular thing. And I can see why that, you know, ignites this like pressure in people of like, Oh God, I gotta be in a relationship. If I want to be such and such by such and such. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like, where does this come from? You know? And so through your work and even, you know, in that checklist to do list, like with your personal life as well, like what has the, the development of that looked like for you or just kind of the thought process of, you know, how have you overcome that feeling? Um, I think kind of like you said, you realize, oh, I'm not ready for kids right now. And <laughs> uh, the pandemic definitely showed me that. Cause I'm like, 
what would I do for, <laughs> like if I had a small, it would be a small child at this point. If I had a child now, I'd be like, mm, what, how am I going to do my life with a kid? Right. Like yes. in the pandemic. So I'm just like, oh my gosh, this has really shown me. I feel like I'm still like selfish in a way. Yes. And I'm just like, I like my sleep. Um, I like my quiet and like being able to go places whenever I want to. Yep. And so I'm like, maybe it's a good thing. I ha- don't have kids right now. Um, not to say that I don't want them or like they're, I feel like children are a blessing, but just yeah. not the best time for me personally. Are you looking for flowers? For a big event? How are you planning a wedding? Do you have a big celebration coming up? Maybe you're just looking to get a bouquet for somebody. I have a deal for you. So the flower girls is my mother, Jen Boner, and she is a rock star florist, mostly local to the Minnesota area. So if you're not local to the Minnesota area, she can still inquire about weddings and big events. But if you're looking for more of just a single bouquet, we'll have to be local to the Minnesota area. But she is the best in the business. I'm a little biased, but she's the best in the business. And she's here to make your wedding planning or event planning a little less hard with some flowers, beautiful flowers. And so if you're looking to plan something or you're looking for a bouquet for somebody and you're looking for a florist, we got you. Go to www.theflowergirls.net. Information will be below and inquire about, I don't know if I said that word, but inquire about flowers with Jen. And when it asks how you heard about her, state that it was It's Hard Podcast that sent you on the drop down menu. You'll get 10% off your floral services. 10% is huge. If you know how much it costs to get flowers at a wedding, that's a big discount. So, if you're planning a wedding or a big event, if you just want a bouquet, go to www.flowergirls.net. That's really hard to say. And when you inquire, say that It's Hard Podcast sent you and you receive 10% off your services. But anyways, once I was able to be like, you know, being married is not just a checklist item. I think that shifted for me when... Um, I started to just read about relationships in your twenties and just how, like, depending on when you get married, if you get married super young, they, those relationships do tend to end in divorce. Sadly, I'm not saying like, just because you get married young that you're going to divorce, but there is some likelihood just because if you imagine a 20 year old getting married, you're barely out of high school. You don't know yourself much less marriage is hard work. I don't, I'm not married, but just from classes I've taken marriage is a partnership. It's almost like a business deal. Um, and so I think when you don't know yourself and then you're in a marriage, um, that's hard to, um, navigate because you're almost like, trying to figure out yourself while figuring out your partner um, and how to mix your two lives together. And so I think when you're still figuring yourself out and like you're in a marriage, like you still have room to grow. And um, yeah, that's just, I think it's just tough. I think getting married young, not to say it's not tough 
any other time, but just being married young, you're still learning so much about yourself. Yeah. Um, and so I, that helped me in knowing like, okay, like I've kind of passed through that age range <laughs> to where like, um, I guess the safe zone of like, oh, this age is kind of the sweet spot of getting married. Um, because you already know yourself, your partner knows themselves. Um, you're probably more mature than you would be at 20. Um, I think the sweet spot's kind of like, if I remember correctly, um, between like mid twenties and early thirties, um, as far as like success rate, and I don't want to even say success, but less likely to divorce. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm even seeing like sadly friends of mine are getting divorced, um, that got married in their twenties. I just think, you know, life happens as you get older and like Mm -hmm. tough stuff happens. So all that to say, just like realizing like, Oh, I think we, I think society pushes getting married, you know, Oh, get married in your twenties. That's what you do. Right. Um, when in reality, it's like, give people time to like grow and learn themselves before like pressuring them to like do something just for the sake of doing it. I think, I think society's at a place, I could say American society's in a place where if you don't have kids, married by a certain age it's like they're almost uncomfortable because they don't know how to sit with that because it's just kind of been a societal pattern mm. um and so yeah I think now that I'm like yeah I honestly being real with myself <laughs> would not have been a good partner in my younger 20s and mid 20s because yeah. I oh that quarter life crisis was like <laughs> yeah I don't want to put that on someone and like make it their package too but Yeah, I think once you can kind of get over that hump and learn how to cope with life better, I think it makes it easier, not easier, but makes it better when you're starting to seriously consider marriage. Yeah, like you're saying, I mean, marriage is a huge commitment and it's a partnership and it's not always going to look like what it looks like in the movies. Like it's not perfect. And also not to mention the fact that our brains don't fully develop until women, 25 men, 27, something of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a whole nother part of this of like, you don't fully know yourself because your brain isn't fully developed. Yeah. And I know it's like, I I think this is right, but from the defining (laughs) decade, that emotional part of your brain is kind of the last part that grow that finishes forming. And so like, if you think you kind of are more emotional than you think you are, I mean, then you think you should be, that's probably because you're, um, I can't remember if it's the amygdala. Anyways, that part of mm-hmm. your brain is still like finishing up until your mid twenties. And so just learning how to cope with things emotionally, um, and getting that emotional maturity as you get into your late twenties, um, I think is important because I'm like, some of the stuff I freaked out about like then I'm like why did I why was that a big deal but I mean it is because you're still that's still um developing in your brain um yeah another random thought I have I I like to sometimes watch trash tv (laughs) and there's a lot of dating shows on Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that and I was watching um 
I tried to get into the bachelor, but I was just not my thing. Not your bad. Uh, yeah. And then, um, last week I watched single, I think it's called single wives or something like that. Anyway, it's typically on dating shows. There are, the couples are young, like in their twenties, probably maybe they're, um, early thirties. And I feel like there's just so much pressure put on these people to like be the perfect boyfriend or, uh, be the perfect girlfriend and it's just like why are we putting so much pressure on young people to like meet on a dating show fall in love within like a season and then have a successful marriage like it takes Mm -hmm. time to like develop that relationship and so I do think there's kind of like it's almost like society just thrives off of seeing like young people like with the perfect body and like the perfect like fun combination of fun and romantic and like serious like it's a lot of pressure um and pressure to like make that person the one um in a short amount of time and then eventually get married and like kind of live the American dream and have kids but yeah yeah that's such a good point so good because it's I was I watched um I mean now this is like UK but Love Island UK we watch sometimes (laughs) total trash TV so I'm with your sister um but it is like the people are like 22 and I'm like oh my god I mean I'm only 23 almost 24 but when I was 22 like you're out there on TV like you're just so fully yourself but also like you're messy and you're all these things and like you're saying there's all this pressure to be the perfect girlfriend, perfect boyfriend. It's like, why are we pressuring ourselves to be something perfect for someone else? Like we should be good for ourselves and take care of ourselves. And then that partner should be an added bonus in that life. Right. And then be able to work together to continue to better one another, but you can't do all of that without a strong foundation. Like when I started trying to date after my you know really bad breakup in college, I was a freaking mess. I had all these weird expectations and all these things I freaked out about and all these, you know, ideas of what I wanted. I couldn't manage a relationship by any means. Um, And I think too, just this, this whole idea of wanting to see something so perfect. It's almost like a protection mechanism for people of like, I want life to look like it looks like in the movies because that seems easy and fun and it doesn't seem uncomfortable yeah yeah I think perfection is an illusion um (laughs) and it's just it's not realistic um you know and it does get hard because I know people post their highlight reel on social media and you know I mean I know that as my like I guess as my counseling background you know just to think like oh we just never know what's behind the scenes but even I can forget that sometimes and I'll find myself like oh my gosh what am I doing with my life you know so and so is doing this and so and so is doing that but I think if we can just remember that like who wants to show like the crappy parts of their lives on social media and I do believe you know there's some stuff that you if you feel comfortable sharing, that's not good. Like that's, I don't want to say not good. If you feel comfortable being vulnerable and sharing maybe the not so glamorous parts of your lives on social media, then that's on you. But I think just like kind of making that discretion, like, um, is this something I want everyone to be able to see or should I just kind of talk within my inner circle? 
But by all means, if you feel comfortable sharing it on social media and you have healed from that, I'd say Mm. go for it. But maybe if you're still working on that healing for me, I'd say um, maybe just working on it privately and are within your inner circle or with a therapist. But um, if you're comfortable with anybody asking you questions about it, then by all means post it. But I'm saying all that to say, I have to remember, like, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes of a person's life. That couple might've just had a fight before they posted a picture. You just never know. Um, And so, I mean, I think we all can forget that at times as we find ourselves, I call it doom scrolling where we're just scrolling and like, kind of like seeing all the good things in people's lives. And then it makes us feel bad. Um, but I mean, I'm guilty of it too. And I just have to tell myself that like, oh, you know, they might've posted this picture, but I don't know what's going on in the rest of their life. Yeah. Or think about all the times that maybe you've posted a a photo of yourself that you took like a couple weeks ago or even a couple days ago or whatever. And like, I just imagine people always, you know, sitting in their bed, posting this picture that's perfectly edited or whatever. It looks great. They're on vacation, all this stuff. And it's like, they're probably sitting in their bed with their glasses on, with their hair up, just like a normal ass person, like (laughs) minding their business. And they're just sharing that to their personal journal feed. And that's that, you know, like we're all just doing the same thing and living in the same cycle. And it's like to just put yourself in their shoes of like, when you post stuff like that, like, what are you typically doing? Like, are you really fresh off of that photo? Like immediately posting it? No, hell no, you're not like, you're going to go and you're going to take a couple days. You're going to probably edit it, add a filter, post it up, put a thing on it. And that's, you know, going to be it. And like you said to, to touch on like that vulnerability side, cause I, you know, on my podcast, Instagram do a lot of vulnerability posting and share a lot of my experiences. I love what you said around make sure that you're healed from that or that in some way, shape or form, you're healed from whatever it is you're sharing. Of course, there's, you know, severe aspects of that. Like, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with trauma or abuse and all those stuff, like you really do need to be healed from that. But it's that balance of, are you posting it because you need support and you're seeking that validation outwardly? Or are you posting it because you want to help people? You want to show people it's okay to not be okay, like things like that, because it's Mm -hmm. probably more important that you're seeking that support and help from people in that tighter circle and from yourself, and then using what you've learned from that experience to then share that on socials, just so that people can know that it's okay to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Someone um, said on my podcast, the way she kind of distinguishes between like, should I post or not is just like, um, she used the analogy of a wound. And so like, you know, we put band-aids over wounds as they heal. And then once they're healed, we take the band-aid off. And so she said, um, if it's a healed wound that she's, you know, worked through on her own through like therapy or just whatever, and she feels comfortable sharing, then she'll, she'll post it, post about it. But if it's something that's still needs the band-aid over it, it's actively, um, healing. It's a work in progress of healing. She doesn't want to take that bandaid off. And then like, 
kind of like um, mess up the healing process. And so she, if it's something where she's like, oh, I'm not quite ready to um, share that with other people that don't need to really know that right now, um, she won't post it. So I was like, oh, that's something that I should keep like in the back of my mind as I kind of find that balance between like, yes, being vulnerable, but also I think respecting like out of the sake of yourself, like mm-hmm. don't just like feel like you have to be vulnerable all the time. If it's something that you're not actively, um, ready to share with the world. Yes. Oh, that's so helpful. I need to definitely use that too. Of like, even if you do share something, you know, maybe it's a photo of you crying or whatever it is. And which I shared, you know, last week at some point, but even just like, there's still a bandaid on this, you know, but I want you to see that it's okay to, to not be okay. And that sometimes we feel like this X, you know, instead of sharing exactly whatever it is that you're struggling with, it's just like the balance between being honest and being vulnerable. Like that's honesty that's in the moment that's raw, but like vulnerability is like sharing, you know, outpouring of the heart and, you know, really unpacking that experience. And that can be really damaging if you take that bandaid off too soon. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you have a random person that is not really in your life, you know, cause clearly there's people on social media that follow me mm-hmm. that are not in my real life. And so if someone were to like comment on it and you're just like, I don't even really know you like that. Um, it could be really uncomfortable. Um, if you do share something that's like, mm, you probably are not quite ready. It's probably not quite healed. Yeah. Um, Whereas I feel like if it is healed and someone, whether you know them or not, were to comment, it'd be okay if you were healed. Cause you'd be like, you know, I'm healed from that. And like, it doesn't offend me, for example. Yeah. So true. Oh, that's really good. I'm going to use that. That's good. <laughs> um, my last question for you, cause I can't believe it has already been like an hour, which is wild. It went by so fast. Um, but my last question for you, Chrissy, is how do you on a day-to-day basis, uh, just take care of your mental health? Like what are some things that work for you and that you do? Yeah. It's funny. I wrote a blog post like before this about just how I cope with anxiety, just cause I've been coping with it like lately. Um, yeah. um, one thing I kind of shared with the TJ Maxx situation <laughs> on a good day, TJ Maxx is like a good outlet. Cause it's a change of scenery. It's fun for me. I just like to look at stuff and like TJ Maxx has a lot of, a lot of like good, like, um, uh, self-care stuff. So whether it's, you know, bath bombs or um something like a blanket or house shoes or something I can usually find something like oh that'd be good to like buy for myself and practice self-care um I just had kind of a bad moment the last time I went so (laughs) but it's okay but going somewhere um that's a change of scenery and it's not home or work my office even like on lunch break um sometimes I get into the habit of eating my lunch at my desk and I'm like, no, if I'm feeling like I need to get out and go somewhere else on campus, I will do that. So sometimes mm-hmm. like it's eating outside if the weather's nice, um, or just going somewhere else on campus instead of my office. And it's so refreshing to even, even though it's just an hour, um, getting out of the office. So change of environment. Um, also I, go to therapy regularly, um, every other week. 
So that's definitely helpful, like I said, to have that dedicated time of an unbiased person that doesn't know you um, outside of the therapeutic uh, relationship is great. Um, Another thing that I've been doing here lately, um, just physical activity. I personally like to run or just go to the gym, but I don't know the science of it, but I know that um, working out is, I think it releases, uh, cortisol, I think is the right word is the right hormone and endorphins, endorphins, which obviously that impacts mental health. Um, cortisol is, I think the stress hormone. And then, um, I can't remember if endorphins are like the happy chemical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like you're lumping two things physically, you're getting healthy physical and mentally when you do physical activity. Yeah. Um, and for me, running again is kind of like that escape, like from reality, because it's just me and like the pavement or treadmill, depending on where I'm at. Um, and, you know, you're in the zone for however long you run, but um, physical activity can be anything walking, swimming, um, just whatever. So, that's what I do here lately. Um, in the summer I picked up journaling. Um, I think it helped getting my thoughts out of my head and onto paper. And, um, at least they're not stuck up here. They're at least somewhere else. And so I'm not as like focused on those thoughts. So, um, I haven't done it as much since school started, but, uh, I would like to get back into it. Yeah. Even if it's just like two minutes a day, that's what I always yeah. do. I'm like, just do five minutes as my therapist always says. And I'm like, <laughs> you right. You right. And it's yeah. like, I always felt this pressure of like, oh my, I have to be so eloquent. Like I have to like write a story. It's like, just write your freaking thoughts. Like you yeah. don't have to do anything. <laughs> Again, I think it's kind of going back to social media. Like they make self-care like an aesthetic, like, oh, you need a yes. candle. You need to be in the dark um you need to be in like yoga pants and like it's almost like it needs to be this whole like production of an experience when it's like no just get a notebook yeah I write in bed it's the last thing I'll do whenever I journal because I'm like okay I can go to sleep better knowing that it's written down like my journal is right on my nightstand so anyways I think going back to social media it's like you need to do it this way and it has to be pretty and like no it doesn't (laughs) It does not have to be pretty. Throw your your hair up, put your glasses on, <laughs> climb into bed, write a couple sentences, and then go to bed. Like, yeah, just be real. It's not. Yeah, it's not always an aesthetic. I love that self care. Yeah, it's so yeah. Funny. Oh well, this was so fun, Chrissy. Seriously, so amazing to have you and just chat with you. I feel like we're like the same person in so many ways. <laughs> Things you would say, I'm like, yes, yeah. like, that's me too. Um, and so this was amazing and so fun. And I'm just really grateful that you were willing to be on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it just, I think it's so random how like there are things that we align with, even though you're like in a whole nother state, like yep. not necessarily halfway across the world from me, but. Stillwater, Minnesota, Stillwater, Oklahoma, like fashion, the fashion merchandising, who would have crazy? (laughs) That's so crazy. I have to tell the the story. So when I first called Chrissy, um, I realized that you were from Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I was like, oh my gosh. So when I used to ride horses, I would go up to the farm and we would always order Domino's. And I swear every single time that we would order Domino's, we would like search on, I think we had phones back then. Maybe one of the people had a phone, but we would like search like 
Stillwater Domino's. And every time it would give us a Stillwater Oklahoma Domino's phone number. And I would call the Stillwater Oklahoma Domino's and they're like, your number is in Minnesota. Like you're trying to call the Stillwater <laughs> Minnesota one because they could recognize the area code. Wow. That, that's like the only reason I ever remember Stillwater Oklahoma because <laughs> I called their Domino's in an insane amount of time. That's so, funny. I think we have like one. I'd have to look and see. I think we only have one. So like it's probably the Domino's. And literally. <laughs> <laughs> So if anyone from Stillwater, Oklahoma is listening and they remember this little girl calling every week for Domino's, uh, sorry, I apologize. That's funny. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. I'll deliver from Oklahoma, ma'am. Actually, I live by the Domino's. Um, not, it's like literally <laughs> like, you don't even have to really go on the main street. It's on main street. Like you just go down to the stop sign, turn right. And it's on the right. Tell them I say hello. <laughs> Give them my best. <laughs> I will. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. Oh, well, thank you seriously so much. This was so fun. Um, I am excited for this to release and just continue to follow everything. You're also writing a book. Wait, let's, oh, yes. let's pause yes. quick. Can we talk about your book for a few seconds before I let you go? Yeah. Um, so my book, I was just like, I got to write this before I, thir- before I turn 30. So it's already <laughs> written. I just kind of going through like the editing process and everything. Um, I'm releasing it in spring of 2022, Woo! but it's called, it's called finding your bliss. And it's a 20 something guide to life essentially. And so I use, um, stories just from my own life in my twenties. And I just felt like, gosh, I know if I went through this, other people are probably feeling the same. And so I just talk about like, um, experiencing depression early on in college and things like, you know, I shared living life as, um, not a checklist and getting over that and how I work through that process. So just kind of snippets of my own life. Um, but I think that examples that are relevant to 20 somethings. And so like, like I said, the book writing process is actually done. It's just a matter of like kind of refining it and packaging it and publishing it. Um, so yeah. I feel like I've got kind of like, I don't want to say the hard part because I don't know what's harder. Um, I felt like the writing process um, wasn't bad, um, but I, I typically, I think I like to write though. So it's more of the learning the inner workings of Mm -hmm. getting from like book to like published and like designing your cover and things like that but all that to say um I am releasing it in spring of 2022 so it'll be here before you know it it's coming up I'm so excited oh that's amazing congratulations it's a huge accomplishment it's one of my goals so whenever I get to that point I will be asking you for advice and all the things, but so exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, so fun. Awesome. Well, thanks. Chrissy. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. You're welcome. It was so good to finally meet you. I know. I know. (laughs) It's so funny. I'm like all these people I've met, you know, like virtually, maybe you're the same way, but it's like, I've met so many people virtually. And I'm like, once I even had like an in-person event, um, a couple of weeks ago. And there was these people that came that I didn't realize we'd just been friends via Instagram and like via the podcast, like recording. I'm like, Oh my God, it's our first time meeting in person. This is crazy. Like what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, 
yeah, it's just, I think it's so bizarre how many people I've been able to meet virtually the last year and year and a half, basically. Right. Like, I don't think, I mean, it's been a blessing in some ways, just like I have the capability to do that at home with zoom, but I don't think I would have been able to do this in person. No. So crazy. So crazy. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your night. Thanks for doing this. I'll let you know when everything releases. It'll be um, a couple months. It'll be this fall sometime. So just doing some batch recording, but I'll let you know when it's about to release and feel free to share it however you want. But thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome. And that batch recording is such a game changer. (laughs) Oh my God. I like took this whole month off of releasing episodes and I've just been batch recording a shit ton. And it's been the, I just planned out all my episodes. I'm like, I am now pre-recorded till January. Good, good. I'm glad you took a month off. I I did that. And I was just like, I'm so glad I did. Yes. It like just revamps like the passion for it. I feel like too. It's like, okay, I needed that. I need a little breather there for a second. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll stay connected and we'll be chatting soon, but thank you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Mm -hmm.